This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 48, Recovery 2.0, The Role of Yoga and Spirituality. My name is Erica, and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Tommy Rosen. Tommy is an internationally renowned yoga teacher and addiction recovery expert who has spent the last two decades immersed in recovery and wellness. He holds advanced certification in both Kundalini and Hatha Yoga, and he has 28 years of continuous recovery from addiction. Tommy is one of the pioneers in the field of yoga and recovery. He is the founder and CEO of the Recovery 2.0 program, a program that includes online conferences, group coaching, recovery coach training, international retreat and workshop, and a podcast called The Power Hour, and a critically acclaimed book, Recovery 2.0, Move Beyond Addiction and Upgrade Your Life. As always, I really appreciate your financial support with this podcast. So if you can, know that you can make a big difference, even with a small donation, to help me cover production costs and allow me to create more episodes. If you'd like to support me in this, please visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat and become a VIP member. As a thank you, you'll get access to new exclusive content every month. Okay, you ready? Let's get to our episode of today with Tommy. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so grateful that we can talk about recovery and yoga on this podcast with you. Mm, thank you for the opportunity to speak about this topic. Obviously, it's near and dear to my heart. And I'm, I'm grateful that you open up the channels for this. Yes. Uh, Tommy, for listeners that don't know you very well, can we start by you telling us a bit about yourself, your recovery story and your yoga journey? It all comes together, I'm sure. Yes. Um, well, when people ask me about my journey, um, sometimes I'll go all the way back to me being in the womb, mm-hmm. you know, and just underlining the fact that my first experiences of comfort or discomfort, uh, pleasure, displeasure are, are coming to me through my mother's experience of the world. And that's a real and true thing. It's not something that I can consciously remember, of course, mm-hmm. but um, I know that I look at the energy of addiction as an intergenerational thread. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, my mother or my father or grandparents were necessarily, you know, um, alcoholics or drug addicts or whatever the the, the particular designation might be. Mm -hmm. But as I look back, I can see a pattern of behavior that was intended to solve challenging and complex emotional issues mm-hmm. going on in my, in my family. And, and no question, substances were a part of my family history. Uh, so in looking at, at my recovery story, I like to just remember and remind uh, uh, everyone, we're in a continuum. Mm-hmm. We're in a process. We're in an unfolding of, of, of experience that goes back before our lifetime. And I'm not speaking in the reincarnation sense, though we could speak uh, in that sense as well. But here I'm speaking about um, uh, family and, and uh, genealogy mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and experience uh, going back over generations. In my life, I continued those patterns of behavior. My orientation to life has been, you know, as as it is for most of us, incredibly external. My orientation is to look out into the world, to make sense of the world, uh, to to try to bring the outer world into harmony with what's going on or what's being asked for by the inner world. Mm. The challenge with that is, is that very, very rarely do the activities of the external world match the desires of the ego. Mm -hmm. So we're faced immediately with a dilemma. And the dilemma is if my orientation is to the outer world and I want the outer world to behave a certain kind of way, that means that I'm invested in um, a form of control. I'm trying to control circumstances. And I'm, I'm trying to control circumstances in such a way that I think I can bring about harmony so that outer and inner finally agree with each other. And, and most people live their entire life this way. 
And unfortunately, it, it basically never, almost never works for anybody. It never comes off well. Not very long. <laughs> Not for very long anyway. We have glimpses of success. We, we, we get the girl or we get the guy or we get the job or we, you know, we, we have a moment, uh, a blissful uh, moment. Uh, maybe we're watching a sunset for a moment. Things feel okay. All right. So this is all starting to make sense. All right. Good. And then it goes. Then it comes and it goes and it comes and then it goes. And so we're in this, this sort of game of, you know, how do I relate to this world? So what my journey of addiction was simply using substances or behaviors to navigate the discomfort I was feeling because of the disparity between inner and outer. Mm -hmm. To add a further complication to my particular challenge, I never took the opportunity or was unable to take the opportunity to sit still long enough to get to know myself. I was really racked by anxiety as a kid, mm. a lot of anxiety. And hyperactivity was one response to that. So I just keep moving, 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 never stop. And when I say never, I really, really mean never. <laughs> Never stop. Keep going, keep going, keep going. At all costs, don't get off the carousel, you know. Don't get off the ride. Keep it going. And what happens when you live that way is there's a core disconnection from oneself, which never, ever gets to be addressed. Mm -hmm. The way I knew myself as a younger person, the only understanding I had, I wouldn't be able to put words to it. But the understanding I had of myself as a young person was I'm, I have incredible amounts of energy and I can't sit still ever. Mm. And that's just sort of what I understand to be my reality. There's an anxiety and, you know, I reach out for, you know, originally, let's say sugar later on, maybe, you know, alcohol or cannabis or psychedelics or later on cocaine, later on heroin, all along the way, girls, women, um, uh, money-based addictions, you know, anywhere I can distract myself mm -hmm. or, or enjoy myself or have fun yeah. or have an experience. So that's how my journey of addiction went. Um, and, and I think that's how a lot of people's journeys go, maybe different pieces of the story for each individual, but Generally, we are unable or unwilling to reconcile difference between inner desires uh, and the outer experience. And we also, we, we haven't taken the time to get to know ourselves. Mm. Recovery has to be about doing that. Mm. It's getting to know oneself, falling in love and, 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 and ultimately loving oneself, forgiving oneself along the way. And forgiving others along the way. And that self-love being an extension into relationships with others. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's the journey of recovery. It's, it's beautiful. It's amazing. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. It seems like the most important thing in, in, for me, you know, in, in life. And um, it requires openness and it requires a willingness to look. A willingness to learn from your life experience. Uh, humility. You have to do things like admit when you're wrong, you know, and you have yeah. to surrender, you know, be in a state of surrender, mm -hmm. meaning I'm not in control and the outer world is not where my joy is going to come from. I may experience joy because of things happening in the outer world, but the joy that I've, that I was always after was going to have to be the joy that I developed inside. I cannot really imagine some people thinking this episode is not quite for them because they're not addicted to cocaine or they're not addicted to pills or something like that. But I think addiction is so much more prevalent and insidious that we think, and it's much more of a global issue, especially in the United States. What are your thoughts on that? Or what do you think addiction actually looks like? Yeah, great question. Um, 
uh, I want to just immediately tell the listeners, don't go, don't yeah, go. Yeah, that's my point. Like, stay, even yeah. if you think is, addiction is not an issue for you. This is about you. Yeah. <laughs> this is about you. Don't, don't, don't mistake uh, what I said as being exclusive. No, uh, every human being, every human being is on this spectrum. Yeah. Every human being. If you're not addicted directly to drugs or alcohol, and by drugs, I mean whether those are illegal or over-the-counter makes no difference. Mm. If you're not addicted to drugs or alcohol, if you're not addicted to sex or experience codependency in your relationships, that disease of the lost self, which is basically what I'm talking about, if you're not addicted to gambling or or shopping, or being in a state of debt constantly. If you're not addicted to food, and if you've never experienced any of the eating disorders, you know, binge eating, um, uh, bulimia, anorexia, orthorexia. If you're not addicted to those things, then I'm just going to just go out on a limb here and say you are addicted to technology. <laughs> to being busy. Because now, because now in our, our, our community, our society, that's just what it is. We're all sort of dealing. But beyond those, those big addictions, you've got the four aggravations, what I call the four aggravations. That's negative thinking, hmm. self-doubt, procrastination, and resentment. Hmm. Now, most people, when I tell them, you know, those are addictions, they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Tommy. I don't crave those things. I don't crave negative thinking. I don't crave procrastination. These are things that happen in my life. So I'll give you my definition of addiction and maybe we can all get on, on the same page. Yeah, please. Any behavior you continue despite it bringing negative consequences into your life. Any behavior you continue <laughs> despite it bringing negative consequences into your life. So those, those thought, you know, mental, negative thinking, self-doubt, procrastination, resentment. Yes, it's true. You do not crave those things. Maybe. But we, but we create a situation often in our lives so they can happen. There's like an addiction to that emotional pattern that it creates inside of us to that, you know, sometimes it's chaos, it's other thing. And we'll create, we'll put all the pieces in place and then we'll be shocked mm -hmm. when it actually happens that way. And you're like, I don't understand why I'm still in this situation. You're like, well, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, you're absolutely right. And I think there is a, there is an inner chemistry where we can become addicted to thoughts and patterns and emotions. Mm -hmm. And so all of that aside, even if you didn't know that, and you weren't, you know, paying attention to the brain and, and nervous system and endocrine system and the chemical part of this challenge of being human, uh, you could still say, yes, those things fit my definition of addiction. Any behavior you continue. And then some people say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Tommy. I'm, I'm not, there's nothing I can do about negative thinking. I'm not doing it. Some people will say that. Mm. Some people will say, there's nothing I can do about my self-doubt. It, it happens to me. Mm. And that's where we have to have a quick discussion and simply say, um, you absolutely 100% are in charge of your mental focus. If you are not taking charge of your mental focus, that's a decision. And your inaction to take charge of your men mental focus and your mind um, is as much an action. And so these are things that you continue despite that these are bringing negative consequences into your life. So hopefully that puts us all on the same page. Mm -hmm. But I'll go one step further. Please. For those who are still holding out, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't think I have trouble with any addiction. I would simply say this. You are, as I am, as we all are, addicted to our current belief system, the current way things are, unless you're flowing. You're flowing in a never-ending evolutionary experience of being a human being, which is where I strongly encourage people to go. Mm -hmm. But unless you're in that flow state, then you are holding on to your position, and it is like an addiction. And there'll come a time if you learn and you grow maybe three years from now or five years from now, you'll look back at 
oh, he, you know, what did you believe five years ago? <laughs> and you maybe you read a journal or you like or you crazy like, things. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I believed that at that time. But at the time, it appeared to you to be true. Absolutely. And that's because of your level of awareness and your level of uh, intellect and your level of consciousness at that moment. And each of us, again, are in this never-ending, hopefully, evolutionary process. It's called being on the path of discovery. We're on the path of discovery. That's what we call Recovery 2.0, which is my organization. We we, we like to be on the path of discovery. Mm-hmm. Everybody's on it. So main point here is don't be put off by the word addiction. Mm-hmm. Understand it from a broader perspective and see how that broader perspective can help you to understand yourself better. Yeah. So now that that's been established, how do we measure success in recovery? I mean, I feel like generally speaking, we're not as successful as we should be when we think of recovery in the general sense or in the long-term sense of addiction? Why is it so hard? <laughs> it's difficult to measure, uh, put a scientific metric uh-huh. on um, evolution, human, human development, spiritual development, personal development, maturity. Um, so when you say, how do we measure? Mm. Well, it depends on who the we is. Um, you know, a lot of treatment centers will tell you, you know, we have a, mm. we have an 86% success rate. <laughs> and, and then you ask them, uh, what's that based upon? Mm-hmm. You know, what are you considering a success? And they say, oh, when someone comes to our treatment center, they leave and they're sober. And I'm like, you're basing your success rate on, on whether they stay sober while they're in treatment with you <laughs> while you're watching over their shoulder <laughs> other other organizations will say you know we have a we have a 50% success rate i'm like okay what's that based on um we we try to keep in track uh, try to keep track on our clients and uh we 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 try to see if they're still sober continuously for one year after they leave mm-hmm. i'm like okay so generally the the success is going to be based on whether a person stayed sober from their drug or behavior of choice for a period of time. Now, here's the challenge with that. Mm. You could do that and still be miserable. That's correct. <laughs> so That's- are you successful? Are you? It's very hard. And for behaviors that you can't calculate like that, like with things with food and shopping, and you can't be like, I will not eat for a full year and I'll be, you know, it's, yes. it's so hard. So what we, what we try to teach, what we're very good at teaching, I should say, at Recovery 2.0, is that you step onto a path and you stay on that path. Mm. You will stumble because that's a part of the human experience. That doesn't mean you're not on the path you will make mistakes because that's part of the human experience. And all being on the path means is I have an intention. I have a goal to live with greater awareness, greater consciousness. Mm. I think it's important to be healthy in the body and in the mind. I think it's important to have relationships that are harmonious. And of course, like with all people, When I am in a relationship with someone or something and it's not harmonious, that doesn't mean I'm not on the path. It means I'm going to learn something here. Mm-hmm. The commitment to learn from what life is showing you, that's being on the path. So that means that you're going to have good days and challenging days. That you're, you're going to experience all the things that human beings experience, including loss, grief, at times, despair or depression. But you'll also get to experience contentment, joy, um, love, connection. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's the human experience. And, and you're just showing up as this open-minded, open-hearted person saying, okay, I'm willing. I'm willing to see what happens here. I'm not using drugs and alcohol because I recognize that it, it, 
it conf- at the very least, it confuses me. Mm. At the very least, it doesn't support my ability to show up. At the very least, it seems to take more energy from me than it brings to me. Mm-hmm. And at the very least, it seems to demote my attitude and my energy, my spirit, rather than promote me into the next place that I'm really working to be. It, it robs me of the present moment because I never, if I'm constantly changing my, my emotional state through drugs or alcohol, I don't actually get to feel what is actually happening. So I'm sort of blowing it off and, and I'm blowing it off in the name of, well, I want to be comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, I have to tell you while, you know, innately, yes, we all want to have comfort. Um, if that were the purpose of life, then I think somebody might've chosen the wrong (laughs) incarnation as a human being, because it's just, this is not a comfortable experience. And uh, we get to have comfort and we get to experience all these wonderful things, but we didn't come for that. It's complex. And we came for the complexity of a full, beautiful, incredible life. And when we get to live that and we get to live that consciously, there's real and true uh, fulfillment in that. Real and true joy. And uh, this disconnection from ego mind, which is insatiable unto itself. And that disconnection allows you to finally like, Go, oh, everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, everything's okay, really. But if you run around all day and you just feel like everything is not okay, then you get the world that we have. And that's what happens when enough people run around without tending to their mind. Mm -hmm. I wanted to come back to one thing you said earlier in the beginning, talking about the energy of addiction. And I like that you talk about it that way, like that vibrational um, quality to it. And I would like us to talk about that a little bit more because I think it's different than other approaches. And I think it links really well into why yoga and spirituality then can affect and help us in recovery. In, in uh, Recovery 2.0, the book, I wrote about the frequency of addiction. And I asked people to imagine their body, uh, really their mind body, as a uh, musical instrument. And in the best of all worlds, you'll, you'll wake up any given day and the instrument is just perfectly tuned. Mm. It's attuned to a frequency that creates the right experiences. It's really, really important that we talk about this. I'll break it down like this. Everything in the universe is vibrating. We now know from science, you know, even even what we consider to be solid is just, uh, just a perception mm-hmm. that the space between atoms, between molecules is so much bigger than the molecules themselves that we can't even imagine how much space there is in everything. And that when you get right down to it, <laughs> at the subatomic level, things are not solid at all. They're just wave forms. Mm. Everything, you, me, this, this table, everything is nothing more than a wave form. This is science speaking to us now. Mm -hmm. So as we wake up any given day, we want this instrument to be tuned and to be in a, in a cohesion, in a, in a coherence with the universe, Mm -hmm. with the field, the invisible field around it. When that happens, We enter a flow state. What happens there? Anything. Limitless potential. Limitless potential. Now, 
we do have to operate within certain guidelines because we're in a body and we're in the physical plane. Mm -hmm. But tuning this mind and body to a certain frequency allows you to create, be a creative being in the sense of you get to create your life. Literally participating in the unfolding of minute after minute after minute. You unfold reality in front of you based upon your attunement. Mm. Okay. Well, it just so happens that when we wake up in the morning, these bodies are not perfectly tuned. This body-mind system is not perfectly tuned. It turns out that we are under the influence. We are under the influence of energy around us, Mm. advertising. Toxicity in the environment, pollution in the air, water, and food we eat, not to mention our own choices about what we eat, who we hang out with, what media we watch or read. Mm -hmm. Everything around us affects us, not to mention our subconscious mind, things that we're not even aware of, programming that went in before we were cognitive, before we understood what was happening. So part of yoga, part of recovery is to bring that subconscious up to light and to be able to work on that. So this attunement that we're talking about needs to actually happen. So you can attune yourself like changing the dial on a radio. Mm. You can attune to, let's say, radio recovery. Okay, so here we are. We're on turn the dial. Radio recovery. We experience an elevated state of mind, clarity, elevated state of intuition. Ultimately, these things have to be built. But this is ultimately where we're going. And this is what, again, this is the work of Recovery 2.0. You build intuitive capacity, build practice and build a meditative mind, a mind capable of focus, um, a mind capable of seeing ever more clearly in this world. And that attunement When you're attuned to radio recovery, you meet other people that resonate with that higher energy. You find yourself with unusual, almost magical opportunities presenting themselves. Yes, you're showing up and yes, you're you're working and you're expending energy and intention. And your energy and intention results in a a really marvelous unfolding. Mm. And big bonus, you touch on bliss. And when you touch on bliss, there's always wisdom there. Mm -hmm. So there's wisdom and bliss go very close hand in hand. Higher wisdom we're talking about. Things like um, craving, addiction don't exist in this place that I'm describing. That exists at a, a different kind of consciousness, a different frequency. So if we tune our radio over here to radio addiction, now you're at a frequency where you attract addictive people, addicting circumstances, addictive thoughts and thought patterns. Conditioning is activated, subconscious mind running the show. Now we're in our patterns. Addiction is nothing if it's not a pattern. And this is what people have to understand when you talk about frequency and vibration, there's a pattern to frequency and vibration. You want to change your life, change the pattern. Change the amplitude, change the frequency. And now you're in a new pattern. You're literally thinking differently. Mm -hmm. These days, and I have to bring this up, there's a massive conversation about psychedelic drug use. Mm -hmm. Massive cannabis is is legalized in more and more states right and i'm not i'm not for i'm not against i'm not for i'm not against my work in the world is about changing frequency i just recognize that it can be done through yoga meditation diet chanting singing dancing love loving connecting walking in nature etc i'm advocating for those things that's the work that we're focused on Mm -hmm. The psychedelic piece of it is like, for sure, that's going to give you give the right person at the right time in the right context a glimpse of something. Mm-hmm. No matter what, that person will have to implement that glimpse, whatever they learn. And it can also be, there are situations where that can also be quite harmful for folks. 
taken in the wrong context with the wrong people, the wrong mental state or uh, situation. So I just want to say that we're, everybody's interested in this changing the way that you think. Mm-hmm. It's a huge conversation. And, and there are many, 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 many ways and methods to do it. I'm exploring yoga and meditation as the method to do this, as a method to do this because of its longevity and because of the stability that it creates. Mm-hmm. It's very, it creates a very stable and steady advancement of consciousness. And that, that's of interest to me. So how do we do that? How do we use breath, movement, meditation to change that frequency? Yeah, well, uh, it's automatic. Mm. If you are, if you, well, you have to know the art of pranayama, Mm-hmm. which is basically that's a Sanskrit word, which means to control the breath. So you have to learn how to use your breath to create different effects, different emotional states, different meditative states. Um, you know, in the ancient texts of yoga, it's very clear about breath control. Mm-hmm. It says breath control removes the veils of illusion. And so there's a refinement going on. You get involved in these practices. And there's also, of course, asana, the physical practice of yoga and meditation, of course. So you get involved in these practices and you get involved with a teacher or teachers and you get involved with a community of practitioners. And very quickly, you find yourself thinking about, meditating over, contemplating, connecting around new ideas. And these new ideas are starting to work on you. You start to consider things. Why is it that when people do yoga long enough, I mean, obviously there must be exceptions to what I'm about to say, but I don't know too many of them. Why is it that when you practice yoga long enough, you start to just care much more deeply about what goes in your body? You just become suddenly more aware of what's working and what isn't. And I'm not talking about, you know, vegetarian or Mm. not vegetarian. I'm just saying in general, somehow an awareness, an increased awareness of how you feel has taken place because you've spent an hour or 90 minutes or whatever it is on a mat, physically practicing yoga, listening to somebody's instructions, Maybe you're reading and talking to other people about the practice and what's happening. And you notice there's a transformation taking place. Why is it that when you practice yoga, all of a sudden, at a certain point, your words and your use of language changes? You're maybe less sarcastic. (laughs) Maybe a little less, um, you know, if you hurt someone's feelings, maybe you're a little less flippant about it. Or you're thinking, you know, well, how could I, how could I, you know, uplift somebody with my use of words? Like, I don't, this is just generally what we notice is when you practice, these predictable and beautiful changes can take place as long as you're practicing consciously with the guidance of a wise teacher and support of a community. Mm. And, and by the way, it's no different in recovery. Mm-hmm. You need the guidance of a wise teacher. You need uh, uh, some kind of teaching to follow. And you need the support of a community. What do you think works really well with the 12th step? And what is missing that yoga spirituality is bringing in that makes it more useful or complete in a way? The 12 steps are are self-proclaimed spiritual program. They address primarily the the spiritual malady part of addiction. And in my opinion, they address that very well. Mm. What they do not address is the body. Stress, Mm. stress management, the breath, how to use the breath like we were just talking health in the body in general. And of course they don't address food and diet and approach to, to nourishment. Mm-hmm. 
those are very, very, very important fundamental aspects of life. Yeah. Beyond that, they also are important and relevant here because if we're going to consider how addiction affects a human being, we're going to notice that it affects the body. It affects the nervous system. It, it, um, it creates great imbalance in the glandular or endocrine system of the body. It affects your brain and brain function. It really changes the body in such a way that in recovery, we can't just approach addiction as if the only thing is, is spiritual. You must approach from a holistic aspect. And so to bring yoga and the 12 steps together is an unbelievably powerful thing to do because now you're covering mind, body, and spirit. Um, and both of those, those uh, practices can complement each other for a person on a path of recovery. Super powerful. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know anybody who doesn't recover when they bring those two things together. Mm. Can you say a little bit more about um, how can food help us strengthen our recovery process or help us even prevent relapse? You know, it's, it's interesting. You know, food, the old adage, right? You are what you eat. Let's just take alcoholism as an example. So, right, we know that we have to eat. What we're trying to do is to, to nourish, ultimately, we're trying to nourish the cells of our body, all the cells. We're trying to stay hydrated. We need minerals. Um, we need nutrients, vitamins, enzymes. We need protein. We need fats. We need carbohydrates. When we don't have these things, we operate at a less than optimal way. We also feel discomfort, a sense of dis-ease. Mm-hmm. We're at a distance from ease. Now, one definition of addiction could be it's a disease. To be in the state of addiction is to be in the state of disease. Dis-ease. Mm, definitely. So in recovery, what we're trying to do is to move ourselves closer to ease. Mm. Everything we do, we should put through the filter of, is this moving me closer to a state of ease or is this going to place me further from? That's a good barometer. Mm-hmm. So with food, our diet is going to affect how we feel like right then, right there. And maybe for a couple of days to come, depending on what we eat. So we're going to want to eat well. And I don't mean to become fanatic about it. Just we need our basic needs met so that we can operate optimally, have the energy that we need, sleep well at night, go to the bathroom well and regularly every day, and not get sick all the time. These things are going to be signs that we have a good diet, that everything's cool. So that food piece is so important. Uh, It's like a pillar or like a baseline. Baseline. This, again, you know, here, here's the body. We're going to operate here from this thing. Whatever we, you know, our experience in this five sensory nervous system is going to be felt here. Mm. If we don't deal with the, the food needs of this body, we're going to hear about it internally. And so it, it could prevent us from, you know, just being in a state of ease and comfort at any given moment. And then that, um, that affects your vibration as well. And it's harder to reach that, you know, higher vibration if your body is really in that deep it, low, like, ugh. If you get sick, everybody knows the feeling. When you're really sick, there's nothing, you're not able to do anything. You're, the only thing you can do is lay low and heal. And your body is really good at it. You're getting sick primarily because of toxicity or infection, or exhaustion, um, something's out of balance. And then the body has to bring itself back into balance. That's all that is. 
So I, I, want, I started the answer to this question by saying, let's focus on the alcoholic. What I was, wanted to say was simply, when the alcoholic stops drinking alcohol, the intake of sugar into the body drops drastically mm, mm-hmm. because alcohol breaks down into sugar. So let's just say you've been drinking, you know, um, you know, five beers a day, two glasses of wine, um, a couple of cocktails or a lot more than that. And all of a sudden, and you do that consistently. And then all of a sudden you're not doing that. Mm. You're creating an unbelievable sugar imbalance in your body. Your body is not used to this. And not only are you going to feel the, the craving for alcohol itself for the feeling that it produces, but your body also is, is, is craving more sugar, which is why so many alcoholics who are in recovery go after the sugar, like, like it's no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when we think about food, we want to think about all of these things so that when someone's getting sober, there needs to be a protocol, a deep understanding protocol of what happens to somebody when they get sober off of this or off of that or off of the other thing. It would be so much easier for people to get and stay comfortable Mm -hmm. in recovery if we just had protocols for this. So that's also what we look at at recovery 2.0. That's so interesting. And it's so overlooked. (laughs) One of the things you said uh, about food really made me think of the yoga sutras and sutra 1.5, where whether you're acting in a way that's detrimental or conductive to the state of yoga or your practice or, you know, your life. And I feel like just like in the 12 steps, there's probably steps that make bigger impressions on your life. In the yoga philosophy piece or in the concepts of yoga, there's probably things that address recovery in like a very hidden way, but not so hidden. I mean, that applies really well. Are they like, is there go-to concepts in yoga that you use often that you refer to often to kind of guide people in recovery? <laughs> the, uh, the entire doctrine. <laughs> okay. The whole All thing. Oh, uh, the whole thing. Everything. Okay. It, it dovetails perfectly, but I'll, I'll just give you one. Mm-hmm. Um, the very first sutra. One, one. And now Yoga. And now, yoga. And now, the teaching of yoga begins. And now, we begin yoga. So what does that mean? Is it just like, okay, just to let you guys know. Starting point. We're in yoga now. (laughs) I think it means, I think it's more significant than that. And I think, I think it, it, I think it's really about the backstory of what it took a person to get to that point, to really contemplate the meaning of Sutra 1-1, one has to consider everything it took to get to that point. Mm. And Patanjali, who compiled the sutras 2,300 plus years ago, considered what a human being's choice is in the world. You can, like I started this talk with you today, you can focus externally and look to solve your problem out in the world. And if you do that, you can get pretty extensive in your your search and in your effort. You can look under every stone. You can try everything that the world has to offer you to find true freedom and contentment. And it never comes from there. Mm -mm. So you might try drugs, alcohol. You might try manipulation and drama. You might try um, money. You might try power. You might try, you know, just honestly going about a career. Um, You might focus there. You might try having a family. And ultimately, the fulfillment, the contentment, the presence, and the freedom of the human being 
won't come from no matter what's going on out in the world. It will not matter. It's so counterintuitive. It is. So counterintuitive. We've been, we've just been trained to believe that something's going to happen. That's going to be, you know, or, or, or we've been trained to believe like whatever misery we have, that's supposed to be happening mm. rather than look for, for solutions to that. Mm-hmm. But Patanjali tells us in Sutra 1-1, have you had enough yet? Are you done? Do you still think that you're going to find it out there? Or are you ready to turn your gaze inward? If you are ready, truly ready, then turn your gaze inward. And now we can begin yoga. Mm -hmm. And that's the significance and the power of Sutra 1-1. Great. It's the same on the path of recovery. Yeah. Have you had enough? <laughs> you can always, you can always go back. Yeah. And your mind will tell you, maybe your mind will tell you, you know, maybe it wasn't so bad. Maybe I could try again. You know, I was doing fine there smoking cannabis for a while, like before things got really out of hand. Maybe I'll just go back to that. I just was having a couple of drinks a night for a while. Hey, okay. I had a bad week. I ended up in treatment. You know, I don't know. So have you had enough? And if you can honestly, in your heart of hearts, say, you know what? I've had enough. You are blessed, blessed, blessed. Because you have a shot now to step onto a path of destiny that will take you as far as you can go in this life. Mm. And it is, it is amazing and exciting. Beautiful. Um, when we talked about yoga and when you talked about attuning ourselves. Just to be clear, we're talking about a daily practice, right? Not just doing it whenever feel like it. You're talking about living yoga all the time. Yeah. Period. Okay. I just wanted to just precise this for people that are listening because <laughs> it makes a big difference, I find. Sometimes you may miss a day of physical practice, but you're no less in the state of yoga or the awareness of yoga than any other day. So you're just in it. Mm-hmm. Yoga is your life. There's nothing that's not yoga. Because yoga means union. And so everything is that attempt to be in the practice of union, in the experience of union, in the state of union. It doesn't mean you're always there. As I said, good days and challenging days. But the awareness is there of, oh, yoga. Yoga, union, connection, presence, kindness, compassion, honesty. Yeah, considering all these things. Mm-hmm. That has to, that, that's just, that's where the world changes yeah. when people start to think like that. It's a really big puzzle. <laughs> It's a lot of pieces that come together. And there's one more thing we haven't talked about that I wanted to touch on, which is discovering your mission, living your purpose, and being of service, as that being a piece of the puzzle as well. Hmm. What's your um, I think I think that um, I think service is a natural extension of yoga. Hmm. It is. In a way, you, it's the same answer in a way. Everywhere you show up in life is a service. It's not like, I'm, okay, between 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock today, I'm going to be of service. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm going to go back to my life where I'm not of service. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's, it's, it's an attitude shift. Mm. I will just be of service. Period. Not in the depleting, codependent way. In the way of, I'm grounded in the practice and the principles of yoga. I'm grounded in recovery. I'm available. Who am I available to? Whoever shows up. Like, is it always a yes? No. It's not always a yes. 
It's a yes when it's appropriate. It's a yes when it's appropriate. You do what you can do. And each of us has, you know, we think about a job or we think about a vocation. You know, where will I spend my time while I'm alive on this planet? And the same way we might think about how we want to use our skill in a particular vocation is the same way that we'll think about being of service, which means we'll be of service in the way that we can be, given who we are and given what our skills are. I used to be concerned when I'd see some guys like in in 12-step programs and they weren't living the life that I wanted, but they were unbelievable servants, Mm. amazing, inspiring, sponsored, you know, a thousand men to recovery, like unbelievable contribution, but their lifestyle and the way that they were, it wasn't for me. And I used to be like, my God, uh, am I going to have to be like that? Because it doesn't feel right to me, you know? I mean, I want to serve, but I, I have to serve as I can serve. Mm-hmm. And everybody has the opportunity to do that. And that's the greatest thing is you don't have to be like anybody else. You just have to be in the attitude of service. And then you'll just serve how you can serve. And that's enough. That's more than enough. And can you imagine if everybody does that? Mm. So that's the that's where the game I changes. I can barely imagine it. Like it's almost hard to be like how the world would be different. Well, I, you know, for one thing, we we we're going to be asking a lot of important questions that we're still not even asking. Yeah, a lot of important questions. So it's exciting. I'm very hopeful. Very hopeful for our world. Very very hopeful. Yeah. Talking about hopes for the world. How would you wish that addicts were treated in the world in the future? Mm. Like, how would you wish things would change around addiction that way? Well, I would, of course, I, I, I think people need to have the right information, first of all. Um, gosh, it, it's such a complex issue. But generally speaking, what I would say is a person stuck in a certain kind of addiction, which involves some of the more uh, dangerous and addictive substances mm-hmm. like heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, and alcohol, primarily, and benzodiazepines. Those people who are severely addicted to those drugs need treatment. They need medical support in some cases, but they definitely need treatment. They need time away from those drugs and they need help because those drugs are too powerful for the central nervous system to manage and handle. So there does need to be a treatment process. The the thing that's missing from our treatment protocol is two things. Number one, yoga. So a dependence upon the principles and the practices of yoga is critical to help people heal. Critical. And and one of the reasons we're not seeing uh, the outcomes that we need to see Um, and that people are relapsing like crazy, uh, is the second reason is there's no continuum of care. We just haven't worked it out. That You can't send someone somewhere for 30 days. No matter what they learn and how profound and how well-run that program is, and there are many well-run treatment centers, mm-hmm. you can't send that person away for 30 days, have them return to their community and their life without an ongoing continuum of care and an ongoing system of education, inspiration, and spiritual development like what yoga proposes for the lifetime of a human being. You either get involved in your expansiveness, in your growth, in your maturity. You have to be involved in it, ongoing. You have to look at your life. You have, to, you have to be able to develop the capacity to make good decisions. You have to be able to make mistakes and not crumble under them, but own them and learn from them and then move forward. You have to learn how to relate to other people. You have to learn how to forgive yourself and how to forgive other people. You have to learn so much that you would learn only over a lifetime. Yeah. And so if we want, if we want you know, people to be successful, then what we, what we have to 
project into everyone's consciousness is, oh, you've struggled with drugs and alcohol? My God, you're so lucky. We have a way out. And not only a way out, we have a way in. Yeah. And the way in leads to the way out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And um, yeah, there's, there's, there's no question that anyone can heal. I am, you know, I am for detoxification at the level of mind and body and spirit. And it's more than just getting off of drugs. And I am for strengthening the system and balancing the system back. I, am, I, do, not, I do not advocate for long-term medic, medication, except where it's absolutely needed because of severe mental imbalance and, and other maladies that require that. In terms of you know, addiction treatment, there are some people who have been at it for so long that the best those folks can do is, yeah, they've got to be on some kind of medicine because they've taken it that far and they're maybe further along in their years. But for, you know, a 20, 21, 22-year-old kid who's been on heroin for the last three years, I'm not putting that kid on long-term medication. Maybe they need it in the short term to help them get a footing. But what they all need, what everyone needs, is a path of recovery, no matter what. And if they're not working that path of recovery, well, those medications are going to be worth nothing yeah. in the long run. They're just like Band-Aids. Nothing. They do nothing. They'll keep you on that medication. You'll just be addicted for the rest of your life. And that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Very inspiring chatting with you today. Before we wrap it up, is there anything you want to add that we haven't touched that you know was very important for you to to go to, or if you want a takeaways to listeners, is there something? Sure. Yeah. Um, first thing I would say is if you're listening to this and you're thinking maybe this is a good inquiry for me, maybe you know if you if you use drugs and alcohol and you're curious to like experience what it might be without that. Check it out, you know, come check out what we're doing at r20.com. We got a podcast, it's free. We have um, a, a huge amount of content on our YouTube channel. It's all free. We'll put, I'll put all the links of everything in the show notes for people to find for sure. We have a 14-day morning practice challenge. It's free. And then we have online programs, which are nominal in cost. And then we have in-depth programs which are more of a commitment financially and in terms of your time. Mm. There's something for everybody. But if you're curious about the next level from where you are, whether you're, you're using drugs and alcohol or you're sober and unhappy or you've hit a, you've hit a block in terms of relationships or you're, you're, you, just, you, know, you thought there was something more to life, if you think there's something more to life, then there is something more to life and you should find it. And that's, that's what we love to help people do is find their next level. So if you're looking for the next step in your life and you're not sure where to turn, I only ask that you take a look at what we're doing and see if it resonates with you. Um, and if we can help you, uh, that's my mission in the world, is to support and, and uplift people uh, out of addiction, but also to thrive in recovery. And uh, the final thing I'll say is, don't settle. Don't settle for mediocrity in your life. Don't be one of those people who's, who said, well, things are okay. I guess this is the best I can hope for. Or I'm afraid to shoot for what I really, really want. Don't settle. Go for it. Go all the way. Go as far as this life can take you. It's just one step at a time. And, and the only way that I can say that is because I have a teacher, I have a teaching, and I have a community. And if you get those things into your life and you get them by asking for them, if you get those things in your life, then the sky's the limit. So go for it. Come check out what we're doing. And, and if that doesn't call to you, then get involved in whatever you can to move yourself forward. Great. Thank you so much. I'll put all the info in the show notes, as I said. But in the meantime, what's the best place for people to find you if they're just listening and they want to reach yes. out to say hello or 
Can you just... The best thing to do is uh, go to our website, r20.com. Great. Amazing. Thank you, Tommy, so much for your time today. It was a truly a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, Erica. You too. Take good care. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. And if you wanted to continue, don't forget to visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat to donate or become a VIP member and get your hands on all our exclusive content. Check out the show notes to find more info about our guest of today, Tommy Rosen, or my top five biggest takeaways from the episode. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba working in the background, creating the music, editing, and mastering this podcast. Once again, Thank you guys for listening. Until next time.